Welcome to Training Room Talk, where we discuss all things performance, rehab, and education. Welcome back to Training Room Talk. This is Nick Perugini. I'm joined today with Dr. Ray Carr, Rob Rabina, and Ezra Bai. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about Ezra Bai's role here as Director of Pitching at MSI. We're going to talk about his story, his background, and how he came to be the coordinator here at MSI, working with a lot of our athletes um, as Director of Pitching. So without further ado, Ezra, let's go ahead and hear a little bit about your story and um, and what you do here. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on first off. Um, so, you know, I was that, that little league pitcher who uh, just kind of threw hard, right? You know, I, I was able to, to kind of be that big man on campus, you know. Um, so I never really dove into strength and conditioning or, you know, being adequately prepared to be a baseball pitcher. Uh, I was, you know, overweight, awfully injured, just, you know, had no idea what recovery was. So, you know, by junior year of high school, I had my first torn label. Um, nice. And yeah. At that point, I thought, okay, I need to lose some weight. So the best way I knew how was just, you know, running on a treadmill, right? You know, the typical, you need to run to lose weight, which of course didn't help build strength or anything, you know. Um, finished up my high school career and I was I was done with pitching you know I was going to Syracuse University I was going to be pre-med I pledged the frat for a little bit you know I was done <laughs> had to come back home to Love junior that. college um thought I would be too bored without baseball so I went back in but still had no idea about lifting or recovery or warm-up or any of that so of course you know torn labrum number two happened um at that point you know I still wanted to play I was still trying but I was starting to kind of dig into, okay, something's wrong, you know, what can I do to actually stay healthy? And that's where I found this, you know, place called Driveline Baseball. And uh, Bill Hazel was sort of, uh, he was the coach of a junior college in my conference. And so I looked up to him, kind of saw what his guys were doing. They were all throwing 90 plus, you know, okay, they must be doing something right. So I finished up my time at, uh, at Bergen Community College and I uh, got recruited to play at Chestnut Hill College just outside of Philadelphia. And so I played my junior year there, you know, seven innings. I was a lefty specialist, nothing, nothing great. But I had a unique opportunity after that. Um, so I had already spent four years in college, and I only needed one more semester to graduate. So instead of minoring or double majoring or anything like that, what I decided to do was I took the fall off from school and actually went out to driveline to train. You know, I wanted to get a really good idea of lifting and, and everything that went into an actual throwing program. Uh, when I was out there, I had back injury and, you know, I just, I didn't spend enough time in the gym. I kind of knew my playing days were over when one of the trainers was actually vacuuming. So in driveline, their setup is they have the two, uh, the two radar guns on the plyo wall. So every throw is recorded. So he was vacuuming near me, and the vacuum was actually registering on the radar guns as faster than my throws. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's great. Yeah, at, at that point, I sort of knew, okay, 
I'm not going to be a major leaguer, most likely. Maybe what's the next step? I got back to Chestnut Hill and actually decided to not play my senior year. Um, you know, didn't quite like that the program wasn't about player development, which I had this newfound knowledge, right, that player development's the big thing. Um, so what I did at that point was I reached out to a training facility called Baseball PDS. I figured, okay, I, I want to stay in baseball. I'm not, I'm not leaving the game. Let me, let me start my coaching career. Reached out to them, and my actual intent there was I wanted to collect data so I could present it on my application to Driveline for the summer. So I, I bought the Moda Sleep back then. I bought the push band, and I just I was getting toy happy, and I just wanted to kind of collect everything. Ended up actually liking PDS and stayed there for six months through the summer. Um, had to move on after that and ended up applying to a place out in California, 108 Performance Academy, uh, for the fall. And to my surprise, a week later, I got a call from Eugene Bleeker and headed out there for six months. Learned a ton, got to work with my first professional clients out there and thought at the end of those six months, maybe it's time to actually bring this back home to New Jersey. Um, and I actually knew a couple of college kids who were training here and working here at, at Maple Zone Sports Institute. So I'd reached out to them, seen you know, what opportunities could be there, reached out to Ken um, about the director of baseball operations job actually. I don't have any of the business security needed for that type of role, so Ken thought, okay, we actually need a pitching guy, and it, it was a perfect fit. That's great. Yeah, that's a that's a, re that's a really great story, um, and so I guess you know you just started up recently. What are some of the 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 things that you feel like you're going to be able to bring to MSI and implement? What are you excited about? Yeah, so especially recently, my, my biggest thing is is workload management, right? Um, if you guys are familiar with the work of Tim Gabbett, yes. you know, Nate, acute to chronic workload ratios, you know. Uh, it's all about building up a good base so that you can progress properly in your throwing. Uh, and I'm sure you guys have seen that, you know, in the Northeast, we have the, the high school and colleges, right? They're practicing inside, they're maybe tossing a couple times a week or a couple times a month, and then game number one, they're throwing 120 pitches. Well, are you going to squat 135 for five months and then try to put 500 on your back? You're, you're going to break something. So it's, it's my hope that I can bring some of that. And, and really the, the start of this process has been a lot of pro guys coming up to me and saying, hey, we want to start throwing earlier, right? We, we, we felt really good in August and September, but it, it took that long to get us going. And it, it's sort of like, well, duh, you, you just start a little earlier. But it, it, it's a process, right? And it, it's important to actually manage that correctly. And, and that's something that um, I think when you're on your own is a bit tough to do, right? I agree. Now, as we talk about, you, know, you mentioned the modus sleeve earlier, you know, possibly what it, for those who might not know, like what is that, what does it do, how do you use that, and how does that impact, you know, someone's throwing program or someone's mechanics or what you might change um, going forward, what kind of data does it give you? And you as the coach, how do you interpret that to the client? Sure. So the modus spits out four metrics. It's going to do arm slot, 
uh, arm speed, which is uh, rotations of the shoulder. It's going to give out shoulder external rotation, uh, maximal external rotation, and also the newton meters of torque on your elbow. Um, so there's a couple ways you can use it, right? I, I will implement it mostly for workload management, right? Modus has a dashboard that, that they apply their own formulas to give you an AC ratio. Um, and so using that to actually dictate the workload for each day. And Modus themselves, they have the dashboard has um, some artificial intelligence that actually calculates how many throws you probably should make, including high effort throws, to keep that AC ratio actually where you want it, which is really cool. Uh, another thing I thought of um, is with the arm slot. Uh, you know, as a coach, most likely, you know, if you've been doing it for a few years, you can see when a guy's fatiguing out there, but this is a way to actually visualize what, what you think you're seeing or mm -hmm. objectively give you that right. feedback, right? right. You see a guy's getting tired. Okay, it looks like that. Let me look at the modus. Oh, his arm slot dropped 10 degrees. Okay, his mechanics are probably changing a little too much. Maybe we need to pull him back. Oh, no, he's actually good. Maybe we can let him keep going. You know, it's, it's just people get so worried about technology and, and, you know, we get called nerds, right, that, that are ruining the game. But, but really... It's just about knowing how to implement these numbers and give them to a good coach who can then interpret them for his players. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the data is nothing without the proper interpretation and, and then application, and it has to lead to an action. Exactly. Yeah. What kind of uh, relationships have you seen with workload management and then elbow torque? Have you seen anything on that? Uh, no. So I mean, I didn't use Modus enough for, uh, for that kind of thing. Um, to me. And when I was out at Driveline, I actually was able to live with one of the trainers, and specifically one of the trainers who worked with Modus at Driveline. So the, the, the torque that it spits out isn't gospel, right? I don't want to right. take that number and be like, oh my God, he has 30 Newton meters of torque. Right. What it is, is okay, here's his base, right? Here's the throwing he just did, the level he says he was at for that throwing, and this is the Newton meter number that came out. Okay, so he just had a recovery day and he was at 20. Okay, so I want his recovery days to most likely be around 20. But today, or you know, a day in the future, it's 75, right? Okay, now we need to check and see what was going on. That's how I intend to use it. It's not, it's not mm -hmm. this number means this, it's individual to the guy. Gotcha, gotcha. Now you also mentioned um, Rapsodo earlier, talk about that you know how you're using it what it's doing what kind of numbers it gives you yeah so Rapsodo's uh, a camera based radar uh, system or uh, yeah and it's going to give you velocity spin rate true spin um, and horizontal and vertical break it's also going to give you a little trajectory of the pitch and mm -hmm. where it should have been in the mm -hmm. zone based off of spin um, so really again it's more numbers uh, it, it's not necessarily that there's a spin rate that's good or bad per se. It's knowing what that is so then you can use it to your advantage. Right. So the major league average on a fastball is 2200 RPMs. If you're below that, you probably want to be lower in the zone. You, you have more sink, right? Your ball is not fighting gravity as much as a ball with higher spin rate. And then if you're a higher spin rate guy, you probably want to be up in the zone. You're going to miss more bats. Uh, and, and that's sort of playing off of um, 
the hitter's vision too, right? Uh, a ball is going to look like it's supposed to drop more, but if you have the high spin rate, it's actually going to stay on line. There's, there's no such thing in, in our game right now as a rising fastball. I think you have to throw about 111 miles an hour, yeah. which is not possible. It, it's, but it's about the hitter's vision. Those hitters, the major league hitters who swear it's a rising fastball, yeah. it's a really high spin rate. That's all mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, my next question was like, what are you hearing? You know, like, does the Rhapsody now provide us some answers as to like, oh, this ball gets on me quick or it feels like it's rising up? Like what other kind of like old school things that hitters and coaches were seeing that now this technology can can provide us the answers? Yeah, I mean, that that's it right there. Like there was a story, you know, Bryce Harper, I think a year or two ago, came out swearing that Max Scherzer's fastball rises. And it's like, <laughs> no, this is what actual physics tells us. That's right. just, it's not possible. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, talk a little bit more. Uh, I kind of want to hear more about your experience at Driveline, if you don't mind. Um, like, just in terms of uh, from a training standpoint, assessment standpoint, uh, yeah, anything you have to offer. Yeah, so I was actually hurt pretty good at Driveline. Um, my back was pretty messed up. I have terrible hip IR, as any of you guys would see in an assessment. Um, so I got to spend a lot of time with Terry Phillips, the PT out there. And that sort of sparked my interest into movement, right? Uh, and my trainer friend um, was also he had a CSCS, so I started down that road. I bought the you know fantastic NFCA textbook, started to dig through that because that. <laughs> there was one point I remember this so clearly, where Terry was working on me, and I had two the two labrum surgeries, obviously. And he was saying, "Oh yeah, you know your your hip might be causing your shoulder problem." And to me, at first, you know, as an athlete with, with no understanding of the, how the body worked, I, I laughed at that, like, how is my hip affecting my shoulder? That makes zero huh. sense. And so it prompted me to, you know, to start digging into, you know, the actual human body and, and how complex it is, right? Because I don't think as a pitching coach, you need to have a master's degree or a PhD, but we're talking about one of the most complex mo- human movements, like, ever, and it's... Uh, what the when your arm is going from external to internal rotation is literally the fastest, fastest human movement in all sports and, and maybe anywhere ever um, so you need to understand some of what this body is going through and doing otherwise aren't you just sort of guessing right um, so that prompted me hey maybe I should look into getting my CSCS maybe I should look into PT school you know take that next step into understanding biomechanics and understanding the complexities involved in pitching. And it's not just get up there, say a couple of cues and, you know, presto, it works. It, it's actually much, much deeper than that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's one, that's really good stuff. Yeah. Phenomenal. Now, it, I mean, I think that the technology and that you're able to incorporate this and take action is, is remarkable. And, Earlier, you mentioned the like Tim Gabbett's work and the acute to chronic workload. Now, how do you prioritize someone coming to you, right? That maybe has, I mean, uh, uh, just a very off or, or 
they're acute, the chronic workload is off, right? And, and it's troublesome. And maybe they are in pain or they are symptomatic. Is that something that you were addressing first before you're really diving deep and analyzing mechanics, um, analyzing technique? Is that something that needs to be prioritized before we start looking at the specifics and the, and the biomechanics? Well, you probably want to understand why it's so high, right? What, what caused that spike? Uh, and then you can manage it from there. It, when I hear the word pain and, and ouch, I'm going to refer out, right? That's not my specialty. I'm, I'm lucky enough to have you guys here. Uh, thank God. Um, <laughs> because I, I'm not going to deal with that. Right. If I hear pain, it's, it's not even my issue first. Um, and then it depends what, what affected the AC ratio, mm-hmm. right? Was it, you know, unprepared from the previous off-season right. even maybe? Like, it, how far back do we need to go to correct that? Um, but I, I won't necessarily look at that first before mechanics because I, I'm not entirely sure the interplay between those two quite yet, but a, a faulty movement pattern would probably cause just as much damage as a higher AC ratio. I'm not sure about the statistics mm-hmm. on that. That's just a, that's a feeling. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, like the four of us are probably so familiar with saying, but it depends. Right. It depends on the guy. Right. Yeah. I have one last question, Ezra. What is one thing that you now know that you didn't know maybe three or four years ago that you wish you knew? When it, when it relates to pitching. Man, there, there's a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it really how to prepare the body and, and just understanding what goes into a professional athlete staying healthy. It's amazing because, you know, they say, right, high performance, you're actually sacrificing some of being a human to to deal with what you have to deal with. But I wasn't even being – it's about – it's not about successful programming. It's about optimal programming. And I was just looking for anything, any quick fix. I was that guy who saw a program online, and I was like, I'm going to buy that. That might get me to where I need to be. Right. But then I never actually put the hard work in to follow through with that plan. Mm-hmm. So when that plan ultimately and obviously failed two or three weeks later, I was on to the next one. Right. So really persistent, being persistent with your plan, trusting that you have a good one, and hopefully you do, and, and really attacking it. Because like, you know, the, the worst plan done 100% is probably better than the best <laughs> plan done 50%. Yeah. Where to live by right there. And on that. That's yeah. Great. Well, Ezra, it was great. Uh, it was great hearing your story and your and your philosophy on on pitching and, and keeping you know your athletes healthy and performing at high levels. Um, I'm looking forward. I, I have a feeling that we'll be talking again in the future. For sure. Yeah. Thank you for having me. All right. Until next time, guys.